you can have say all the tech, but if you haven't got the housekeepers, you haven't got the process, the underground people really well trained, you're not going to be able to grow your brand and not going to be able to scale the business. Welcome to the second season of The Modern Hotelier, the fastest growing hospitality podcast. Both hosts were named top 100 most powerful people in hospitality and voted fourth most popular podcast by the International Hospitality Institute. Each episode will get to know an industry expert and we'll discuss the latest trends in hospitality to help you, The Modern Hotelier. Welcome to another episode of The Modern Hotelier. I'm your host, David Maloney. I'm your co-host, Steve Karen. And I'm the producer, John Boomhofer. Today's episode is sponsored by SmartBrief. SmartBrief is the leading publisher of targeted business news and information by industry. By combining technology and editorial expertise, SmartBrief delivers the most relevant industry news in partnership with leading trade associations, professional societies, nonprofits, and corporations. The SmartBrief network comprises 275 newsletters across 14 major business sectors, reaching over 6 million subscribers. Specific to the travel and hospitality market, SmartBrief publishes newsletters for the hotel, casino, airline, travel advisor, business traveler, and resort development markets, reaching over 100,000 subscribers. The hotel and lodging SmartBrief is published daily, and you can subscribe to all SmartBrief newsletters at smartbrief.com slash subscribe. Steve, who do we have on the program today? Yeah, David, today we have on Dale Smith, the founder and CEO of the SDDE Smith Group. Dale's a successful property entrepreneur with over 15 years of experience in residential, commercial, and holiday home property investment, property development, and property management. Welcome to the show, Dale. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really looking forward to being on the show. Thanks, Dale. So we're going to go through... Three sections. We're going to ask you some questions to get to know you better. We're going to go through your career, and then we're going to get into some industry topics. Sound good? Perfect. Yep. Looking forward to it. All right. So great. So first question is, what's the worst job you've ever had? Worst job I've ever had? Probably being a car valeter, car cleaning. So back when I was younger, my family background's in the automotive sector. So out on the forecourt cleaning cars. <laughs> Are you a morning or a night person? Definitely a night person. Definitely a night person. If you could only leave three apps on your phone, what three apps would you leave? You got to delete everything else except three. Okay. Uh, LinkedIn, hmm. my Whoop, and Google Drive. What's the most used emoji for you? What do you use the most? Probably smi the smiley face, I think. Yeah. I'm a fan of the smiley face. What's your favorite song? You got one song you can listen to. You're chilling out. What's the one song you like? One song, probably an Arctic Monkeys track, which I don't know whether you guys might have heard of Arctic Monkeys, but yeah, an Arctic Monkeys oh, yeah. track on the dance floor, something like that. Cool. What's the favorite place you've ever traveled to? San Diego is still my favorite place, I think. Wow. If you had your own talk show, who would your first guest be? Who would it be? Michael Jordan. And so now if you had a time machine and you could go into the past or into the future, which yeah. way would you go and what year would you go to? Ooh, I would go to the past and I'd probably go to something in like the 1600s. I'm a, wow. a you know, medieval type fan, yeah. Cool. Awesome. Great. Awesome. That was great. That was great. Now we'll get to know a little bit about you, where you came from, things like that. So, so you're from the UK. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in the northeast of England, a small town called Saltburn. Uh, that's right in between Newcastle and Leeds, but on the coast. 
so yeah, so so grew up born and raised there, and then then moved away to the U.S. actually for college when I was eighteen. So how did growing up there kind of shape who you are today? Love being by the sea, to be honest with you. Kind of, uh, we're really lucky. Saltburn's right on the coast. Really good access to um, North Yorkshire moors, which is you know beautiful moorlands and hills, rolling hills, hiking that type of thing. So off the back of that, quite naturally, um, a really kind of sports-driven, outdoors, or outdoorsy type person, and I really love that about where we're from. So you got a golf scholarship to the University of San Diego. What was it like for you coming from the UK and living in the US? Loved it, David. Literally lived the dream for four years for me. So I was really keen when I was looking at universities going to either kind of south to East Coast or West Coast. Again, being from Saltburn, being used to being by the beach, that was a key factor for me. So I was really set on, on kind of Florida or Southern California. Ended up choosing San Diego and absolutely loved it. Like, you know, being honest, being from the UK, going to the US, I, you guys are distinctly more positive and upbeat about things. And I, I love that, like you are, like versus, versus we can be a little bit dour from time to time in the UK. So <laughs> um, I, I really love that. And uh, yeah, San Diego was a, a special place for me. Not only, you know, people I met there and a big part of my life, but just as a place, it's, it's fantastic. It's got so much, so much to offer, great people. So yeah, I loved it. Really, really yeah, great partner. Were there any growing pains moving from the UK to the United States, um, or, or was it pretty seamless? No, it was it was relatively seamless. Seriously, I'm a I'm a I'm always looking for different things and relatively opportunistic, I suppose. So I, I I love that challenge of that move. Don't get me wrong, the first that kind of first six months of you know moving over in probably the August time, I was kind of ready to get back home and see family that Christmas. That period was getting up to Christmas period was the first time I really felt, okay, I'm maybe a little bit homesick and want to get back and see the family. But after that first Christmas, I was like, every, I was raring to, raring to come on, we'll get, get back as soon as possible, to be honest. Yeah. So, um, was there so any no, food you missed or any, anything you really missed about home? Um, no, not, not really. I, I guess just the US is so big. The thing with England and the UK is you feel a little bit freer to a certain degree, if that makes sense, because things are closer. Where in the US, conceptualizing the fact that you're in one city, but that city is arguably as big as like the region I grew up in. And then to comprehend, to get to the other end of the state is like a 10 hour drive, which is the entire length of the UK. That was a really weird feeling knowing, well, yeah, I don't know how to describe it, but that, that was probably one of the, the real differences. But from a food point of view, before I went to the US, I would have said I was quite a fussy eater, but the move into the US really opened up, again, different culinary experiences, really, different fast food opportunities. Like back then in 2006 in the UK, like fast food for us was Burger King, McDonald's. Like, you know, we didn't have Mexican takeaway and all that type of stuff, which you guys have. So, so yeah, re real different experience, but I loved it. Yeah, that's what's great. I mean, I think that's the not biggest misconception, but a lot of you know people I've worked with in the UK or in Europe, like they don't they they can't fathom how big the US is and how the distance between New York to LA and how different New York, Florida, Texas, California, how different the people are. They think it's kind of this maybe it's a movie or TV thing. They think it's kind of everyone's not the same, but a lot closer than actually we are. And and obviously our politics show you that. Yeah, no, totally. The one biggest difference I see on that is like from a dialect and accent perspective in England, like we can travel 30 minutes in the car 
and the accent is entirely different where you don't get that same really rapid variance in, in the US. Where and, and I suppose the UK is maybe a little bit different to quite a lot of countries from that point of view. It's literally 30, 60 minutes and the dialect and, and tonality and everything changes so so drastically, which is, makes us unique, I suppose. Awesome. So now we'll get into your career a little bit, kind of find out how you got to where you are today. But your dad, he was actually the one that got you kind of on interested in the property side of things, right? Can you tell yeah. us more about that? Yeah, absolutely, Steve. So, so yeah, my dad um, started investing in property probably around 2004, I think it was, a couple of years before I left for university. And that, you know, that really piqued my interest in the property side of things. Obviously, we were, you know, riding the wave kind of pre-reception at that point in point in time so you could you could make money in property quite easily but yeah certainly that piqued my interest and then I bought my first property just before I left for for the US in 2006 just as a buy to let property so not really in line with what we do as core in our operation today but yeah so that 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 kind of started my property journey and then when I left uni and came back to the UK in late 2010 I ended up going into the automotive sector so as I touched on earlier, family background is in automotive, automotive retail. I always thought I wouldn't go into automotive retail, but you know, 2010 wasn't the best time to be graduating for work experience opportunities. So ended up getting into the automotive sector and built the early part of my career in that sector. Yeah. So you're involved in, it looks like about 10 companies, one soccer club, most of them your founder or owner. So what kind of drives you as an entrepreneur? How did you kind of get that entrepreneurial spirit about you? Probably more problem solving, David, to be honest, that's the bit I really like the challenge of, of solving a problem and whether that's a, you know, whether that's just actually taking something that's existing and trying to find a better way of, of doing it um, or whether it's actually a, you know, a fundamental issue that needs fixing, you know, within an industry, within community, whatever it may be. And, and the challenge of trying to fix that, I think, problem solving and creating solutions and deploying those solutions is really the part that that I enjoy and you know that was the bit kind of going back to my early career in automotive I started in the marketing department worked my way through to being commercial director over a seven-year period and that was very much built on building processes finding issues in the business fixing them you know developing the processes for them deploying them then moving on to the to the next thing and then when I went into property full-time in 2017 that's where we've now evolved into as you say 10 different uh 10 different brands all of which serve a purpose to our core client but all of which solve the problem to that core client as well ultimately and yeah i think that's ultimately where it comes from and that's certainly what gets me excited is is those challenges finding those problems right how can we fix it and how do we take that to market awesome i gotta ask about the soccer club how how yeah. did that come about you? It's it's the the Red Car Athletic Football Club. That's right. Ta- yeah. Tell us more about that. How you got involved with them? So when I was much younger, my my sporting career actually started out in soccer. Um, so from being eight years old through to fourteen years, I played for Middlesbrough Football Club, who are a, a Championship football team. So they're one tier down below the Premier League, the EFL, and obviously similar to you guys, I, I suppose our our system in the UK. You, any kids who are good from a sporting perspective end up getting picked up quite early and going that that route through from a sporting perspective. And our our educational balance with sport is nowhere near as strong as what it is in the US. So I played in the Middlesbrough Soccer Academy from being eight to fourteen, and I actually broke my leg playing, which is then how I ended up switching to golf. So 
when I was much younger, from four years old to eight years old, Red Car Athletic was actually the, the team that I played for. So uh, at that point in time, they were mainly just a junior football club. They were not as advanced as what Red Car Athletic is now. And then when I moved back to Saltburn in 2017, a couple of years later, I then started getting involved in Red Car Athletic again, mainly from a sponsor point of view and getting involved and in, you know supporting the team and the club from that perspective. And then last year, I was talking to the, the then chairman, who's now the club president, who's been around, you know, has developed the club over the last almost 30 years and, and taken it to a point. We decided, right, we'll, we'll get involved, we'll take the club over and, and invest in it and, and try and build it and move it forward. And it probably has, it has two main things for us, right? You know, soccer's, I'm mass, massively passionate about it. You know, soccer's still my number one sport, although golf is what I went on to, to do at a higher level. Soccer's still the, the kind of the core, which I suppose is, um, is right being an Englishman. But also the fo- football clubs in a society in the UK carry a lot of weight, right? So they're, they're a real core to a local community. So the football club for us is that vehicle to drive to drive change from a community point of view. We want to create facilities that bring people together. We want to use the, the football club to, you know, again, amplify where we need to promote good in society. So that might be economic challenges. It might be education challenges. We're using the football club as a vehicle to, to help drive the community forward and solve some of those things. It comes back to that problem-solving piece, right? There's there's lots of things where we are that we need to do better at and we need to fix as a society and a community. We believe football clubs are at the heart of that and can be used as a vehicle to do that. That's awesome. Sure. Yeah, and if we pissed anybody off by making you use the word soccer, Steve writes the question so they can send any comments directly. <laughs> All right, Steve. Talk about- uh, so, <laughs> 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 I'll go to the next question. So uh, one of your companies... Uh, the SDDE group, uh, Smith yeah. Group, it's a group of six client-facing brands in the real estate sector. Explain to us how those all work together. So what we've got, David, under the SDDE Smith Group, which is effectively the, the holding company, if you like, we've got multiple different brands. I think we're actually, we've got, as of today, we've got 11 customer-facing brands. So everything is within the real estate sector. And at the core of that, our our largest brand is is Host and Stay. So Host and Stay is a vacation rental management business. We manage just under nine hundred vacation rentals at the moment, and the vast majority of what we do is is around servicing those properties and those clients. So um, to go back to the early days in twenty seventeen, when we we started with one vacation rental. Between uh, March twenty seventeen and launching that vacation rental in December twenty eighteen, we'd We'd grown the portfolio to nine vacation rentals. Two of those we owned and seven of those we just managed for friends, family, friends of friends. You know, there was never really anything more than that to, to try and push that volume on. We were still doing our own investments in, in residential property and commercial property as well. But with my background being finance and marketing related, what I loved about vacation rentals was the fact that you could drive performance on a daily basis you know you could change the imagery you could change the description you can change pricing you can actually affect that investment and what revenue you could drive from it whereas residential and commercial property it's set and forget right you set your rents and then your contract runs and you might have rent review periods every three or five years or whatever it may be but you can't really drive that it's not a, it's not a, a true operational business and again that's where i you know that's where my passion lies so in December 2018, with those nine vacation rentals, we said, right, we need to drive this forward. We think we've got a good product. We need to take it to market and start and drive volume uh, in this management service. 
So a host and stays at Brighton has grown from nine to just under 900 vacation rentals in that four and a half year period. That growth has been predominantly organic. We made the first acquisition into host and stay of another vacation rental manager six weeks ago, yeah, beginning of May, six weeks ago, and that was 120 units. So we grew organically to around 750, and then we're just just the 900 now with that acquisition. Our ambition is to get to 5,000 units by the end of 2025. So we think we'll grow organically to around 2,500 and we'll acquire the other 2,500. So it's a pretty, you know, ballsy roadmap, if you like. But as we've progressed on that journey, what we found is owners, vacation rental market's really fragmented, right? As quite a lot of the hospitality market is, I guess. So if someone wants to invest in a vacation rental, they need to come, they need to go to a, a real estate agent to find the property. They then need to come to someone like host and stay to say, right, how is that property perform? What's the potential? What's my pricing going to be like? They then need to find someone to do the, the cleaning and the changeovers and the linen. Then they need a maintenance guy to do call outs. So it's really fragmented. So all we've tried to do all the way through is provide different parts of that process and where, where we've grown demand enough, we'll spin that out into an outward facing brand. So. If you take Style, which is our interior design business, we would outsource interior design for our owners because every owner that comes on board with Austin State, or, or not everyone, but nine out of 10, will ask us the question, right, how do I maximize revenue? Well, if you want to maximize revenue, you need an attractive property marketed in the right way. So we've got to get the style right. So we need to make sure the interiors are functional, but they look great. So we need an interior designer to really maximize that. So we built up that demand and then once we were once we had sufficient demand we employed two interior designers in-house rather than outsourcing it and then when we built the demand further we then launched it as an external brand to service you know other holiday home owners but also residential and commercial so every brand within the group has been through that similar journey so take our legal business which um, handles what we call in the uk conveyancing so the, the the kind of purchase and sale of a property so again, we had clients and we were referring to another solicitor, to another lawyer. At a certain point in time, that lawyer got capped out on what demand they would cope with. We were starting to have issues on SLA. That then had a knock on impact on our client service. So, you know, we then thought, right, well, we need to do our own version of this. So Joanne, who did a lot of our own legal work, she started that business with us. Uh, and then we've grown that now into four offices. So that services host and stay clients legal requirements but it also it also brings clients into group at that legal point and then we know we've got that suite of services we can offer so all we're trying to do is basically take a client all the way through from purchasing so we've got two real we've got two real estate agency brands so really we want to find the property for the client we want to help them go through that that legal journey on the actual purchase once they've got it, we want to make sure it's designed right to maximize revenue. We can then refurbish through our maintenance and, and our construction division, the, the conversion and how big the work is or the design and the, the construction of that. And then it'll go onto the management platform, the whole sustained management platform at the back end. So we're trying to join that journey up all the way through, make it you know hands-free, hassle-free from a client perspective. Because if we don't do that, then we have to interact with so many parts of the process where we're subcontracting out to third parties, then we're losing control from an SLA point of view, from a quality point of view, from a customer service point of view, but also from a revenue and margin perspective. So our model is to, to vertically integrate that margin. So we don't need to be 
the most expensive or the cheapest on any of those processes or any of those parts of the process. We can be price competitive and we can retain margin because we're taking a bigger slice of the pie all the way, all the way through that journey. Absolutely. You've just created a one-stop shop for people instead yeah, of <laughs> going yeah, to different things. They just come to you for yeah. everything. Yeah, completely. And for us, it's about, it's about stickers, right? We want to keep as many clients within that group as possible. So anywhere a client has to go out of group to get a service, well, our long, longer term plan is we want to bring that in. So let's take, you know, finance and mortgages and insurance at the moment. We work with partners on those, but at a certain point in time, we'll bring those into group because it makes sense. We've got a captive market. We've got a client base there to service them. And when we market that as an outward facing brand, that will bring more clients into group at that point. And then we'll be able to offer them, you know, additional ancillary service through, through the rest of the brands. 100%. That's awesome. Now we'll get into more of the industry thoughts. So what's one of the most exciting things about the, the real estate sector area right now? I think the short-term rental and vacation rental sector for me is, um, is really exciting. I think it's been on a really strong journey in the last five years, even, you know, even with COVID. Obviously, there was peaks and troughs during, during the COVID period, but I think the vacation rental industry, short-term rental industry, whichever you want to coin it, has come out much stronger you know, it's evolving rapidly. We've seen a, a big rise from a technology point of view in that space. You know, I mean, there's, you know, I don't know how many 10,000 different property management systems out there and pricing systems. So I think it's exciting that we're probably going to go through a bit of consolidation in the next couple of years from a, from a technology point of view in the space. But yeah, for me, that's one of the really exciting parts. I think we're, it's relatively early, I suppose, in its journey, but we're, it feels like we're evolving and maturing and professionalizing the industry pretty quickly which I think is great. And for me, that's, you know, the excitement of that versus the residential and commercial, which we still still do little bits of, but, you know, that's not why I get up out of bed in the morning. It's the, it's the vacation rental stuff for me that, that really drives me and where I, what I love. And, and the hospitality side of it, you know, dealing with, dealing with guests, dealing with owners, you don't get that in, in other, other parts of, uh, of property investment. What's one trend that either you're seeing approaching or that's happening right now that you think is going to make a big make a big splash in the in the vacation rental space i think one of the biggest whether it'll make a splash or not is is regulation i think that's one of the biggest things we're seeing um i think then that's in every market across across the globe really i think you guys in the us it's much more regionalized so i know you've got different state and county laws on licensing from a short-term rental point of view if we look at the UK at the moment, Scotland has just in, uh, just put in place short-term rental licenses. England's going through consultation. So I think that's probably one of the biggest potential issues coming up in the industry, I guess. And it's just kind of seeing what happens with that. But on the flip side, I also do think it's quite a good thing. I think an element of regulation coming into the industry is a good thing in terms of raising the barrier to entry, right? Because right now it's really easy for someone to list a property on Airbnb and there's no checks from a health and safety point of view to make sure that it's right. And we need some of that type of thing coming in so that we raise that bar and we can all be confident that the type of properties that, you know, ultimately families will be staying in are at a certain standard and there's those health and safety precautions in place. So I think that's our it's helped the industry grow and evolve, but it's also still, for me, one of the biggest risks, you know, that we're really stringent on compliance items in properties and health and safety for any new properties coming on. But I know that there's lots of property managers out there and individual operators that aren't. And, and ultimately, 
we've got families staying in properties. We need to make sure they are right and that we've got we've got good regulation in place. So I think that's one of the biggest challenges we face. But I think it's also one of the big things that in the next couple of years, as we come through the other side of that, I think it will actually turn out to be a really big positive for the industry. So is there one thing that on the vacation rental side that you guys are doing really well that hotels could learn from and implement? It's a little bit different, David, I guess. I suppose I'm a user of hotels, right? If I'm traveling for corporate travel, I tend to use a hotel. If I'm traveling with a family, I tend to use a vacation rental. I think probably ex- experiences can be a little bit different in vacation rentals. So one thing we're passionate about plays back into that community aspect is that when guests come and stay in one of our host and stay properties, we want to be and we are connected to that local community. So we're driving our guests to spend their pounds or, well, their pounds because we don't have dollars, so spending their money in local retailers, local coffee shops, local restaurants. And I think from a hotel point of view, they miss out on that potential engagement with local communities and local businesses because, you know, ultimately a lot of the hotel chains end up being bigger corporate entities that, that perhaps don't have the on the ground the resource to be able to do that. We've got the opportunity to do that in the vacation rental space. And I think that's one thing that sets us apart from hotels is actually we can do that. Our guests can come and stay in our property and we can recommend the five best coffee shops locally where they need to go and and try if they're a coffee lover or the the best Italian restaurant or, you know, whatever it may be. And actually we can, you know, and in the reverse, we know we're having an impact on that local community as well and driving business for, for that local business and keeping the pounds and pence in those local businesses. We're not pushing them to, you know, the Taco Bells and and the McDonald's and whatever else. So that's the what one of the biggest differences that vacation rentals can have versus hotel chains is that engagement piece, right? We we can really engage with those guests and we can really give them an experience in the local community that a hotel doesn't do at the moment. I, I think they've got the opportunity to do it, but we don't see it at the moment. As we record this, we're pretty much exactly at the midpoint of 2023. Do you have a tip or some insights on how vacation rentals can improve their ROI moving forward? Two big points for me really on ROI. One, design of the property, and it doesn't have to be expensive. So whenever I would go and see an owner, I will always be looking for in that property, right? What's the first image going to be? Because ultimately, a guest making a booking that's never been in the property before was selling the photography, right? We're not that, That's our product in reality. And I feel like a lot of property managers or owners missed that point. So from a design point of view, you're really looking to, right, what are going to be the key features within the property? What's really going to attract someone in and want them to book that property? And what could be the one point of difference on the experience? It might be something as simple as, you know, your property has a really cool coffee machine. Something like what's going to be this something that's really point of difference. And then the second is professional photography. So for me, we work on on the fact that within five photographs, that guest is going to know whether they want to book that property or not. So image number one needs to grab the attention. Because if, if image number one is, is no good, they're going to scroll past the listing and not click. So, but we need to have the design right, because no matter how good the professional photography is, if the design isn't right, then we're still going to be missing opportunities. So if we've got the right design and the right photo quality, that's going to get the click to then take them through to the listing page. Once you're on the listing page, within those first four or five photos, they're going to know whether they're going to go on and book that property or whether they've already hit the back book and they're back into listings. So making sure you 
look at those first four or five photos and say, right, are you telling the story in those first four or five photos? Have we sold that that property to the guest within those? And that, for me, I mean, you just have to do a search on Airbnb and scroll down and see how many people are missing the point on that ultimately and, and missing out on on maximizing what the potential of that property is because that quality is is what really drives it. And that's been a big focus for us from from day one is 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 exactly that right design and right presentation of the of the property because ultimately that's what you're selling. Absolutely. And do you have any, I guess, advice for those that are thinking about, you know, getting into the Airbnb space, you know, I guess specifically about building their brand, if they should build their own brand more or rely on, you know, OTAs more. Do you have any advice for those folks? Yeah, certainly, Steve. So I think, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, interesting debate in the space around OTAs and direct bookings. It's getting more and more prevalent. But I mean, look, we, we built our business on utilization of those OTAs, which which kind of comes back into my last point. The OTAs there are, are a platform to give you the reach. So it's up to you to then market your property in the right way to maximize that reach. And the OTAs are, are, do exactly that. They give us that reach. So what we have always done, however, is even when we had just one vacation rental, that vacation rental had its own website, even in the basic form, so that if someone booked through booking.com or Airbnb, as soon as we had them in inside the property, all of our communication off platform is to encourage that guest to stay with us directly next time. And that's not always going to happen because some people love to book through Airbnb consistently or they love to book through booking.com and it's habit, right? But for some people, we've got to have that journey. So once once you've secured the booking through Airbnb and booking.com, it's then looking and saying, right, well, what's the rest of that journey for the guest? Where are all the touch points I can communicate my brand to them? Or even if that is just you know, me as a brand, as an individual host, I can tell them why they should come back and stay with me again next time and give them the opportunity to to book direct and having those tools in place. So I've been a big believer in that from day one. And then as we've grown the host and stay brand, the early days we had individual properties all with individual websites. And then when we launched the host and stay brand, that got consolidated. So our focus has then been on building that, that host and stay brand. But I think it's a balance. So Currently, our we, we take uh, 75% of our bookings through the OTAs and 25% direct. We want to get up to 50-50 because I think that's a healthy balance. And we don't want to be over-reliant on OTAs. But on the flip side, we're never going to generate the reach of Airbnb and Booking.com. So for me, they're, they're fantastic partners at casting the net and generating bookings. We need to deliver the experience for the guest on the ground and do a great job that makes that guest think, I'll tell you what, next time I'm looking, I'm just going to go straight to Host and Stay because I know their properties are on Airbnb, but I know they've got fantastic properties and I love what they do and the great experience. So I'm just going to go and book with those guys direct. But we also know that you're never going to get away from those that continue to book through the same platforms. And they're always going to, or Airbnb, Booking.com and you know all the others, other platforms available, if you like, they're going to bring in guests that we wouldn't necessarily say our core guests so in the uk we're 90 percent domestic travel so we're never going to spend our direct marketing pounds on trying to pull in that 10 percent from overseas so booking.com and airbnb gives us that incremental overseas market that we wouldn't get if we were trying just purely to drive direct bookings so i'm a big believer there's a place for every aspect in that marketing journey it's about utilizing that and then ultimately it comes then back down to selling your brand and developing your brand around that guest experience and giving that guest a reason to to rebook you with you again once they've once they've stayed with you. 
Yeah. So what advice would you give to somebody who's starting out in the vacation rental space, an entrepreneur who's looking to to get into the space, make an impact? What advice would you give to somebody who's who's starting out? There's lots of opportunity. I think I suppose if if they're looking to get in and invest, it's kind of back to that, you know, pick pick their lane of where they want to be. So if they want to get into vacation rentals, right, do you want to operate in the upper quartile of the market? So, you know, for what I would call four and five star properties, or do you want to operate in the corporate market? And it might be a little bit lower standard, possibly. It's higher volume, maybe lower ADRs. You know, we we have a market we call the contractor market in the UK, which we don't really play in, but it's, you know, mainly focused around construction companies and travel and subcontractors and they you know again higher volume longer length of stay uh, you know lower margin most likely so i think really picking picking the lane that you want to run in and stick into stick into that as well and really getting good at one of those and then anybody else in terms of opportunities in the sector i see one of the biggest opportunities and, and one of the biggest issues we have at the moment is we we all talk about growth of the industry and technology to facilitate, you know, growth and scale. And I think we miss a fundamental point, which is the underground team. So as we continue to grow to 5,000 properties, technology is obviously going to help that. But the bit we can't live without is our housekeepers, our maintenance guys who need to keep on making sure those properties are right and ready for the guests coming in. And I think every time I go to an industry conference, we all talk about technology and dynamic pricing and which PMS to use. And we don't talk about housekeepers and what's the best process for those guys and how are we training them in development and retention. And these are all the things that if the industry is going to continue to grow, this is actually going to be the bit that holds us back. And for me, they're some of the biggest challenges. It comes back to that hospitality piece, right? It's about are the properties going to be ready? Are they in the best standard? And how we treat those guests, it comes back down to the people. And I think we miss it. We, we miss on that, and, but that's a bit we're passionate about. And I, I see the opportunity industry is for someone to really get hold of that because that's that's really really valuable, right? You can have say all the tech, but if you haven't got the housekeepers, you haven't got the process, the underground people, really well trained, you're not going to be able to grow your brand and not going to be able to scale the business. Absolutely, the people make the business go. So I, I love that. But uh, so John has been sitting in, uh, listening this whole time. So so he's got the final question here for us. All right, Dale, uh, you're talking about your your love of soccer. I'll call it football for the for the sake of the conversation. <laughs> um, what is your football club? Who do you cheer for? My team. So my apart from Red Car Athletic, my uh, my boyhood club is Middlesbrough Football Club. So that's the team that I support. Yeah. So okay. once we're a Premier League awesome. team, I know it's, I know it's a fierce loyalty. Yeah. Oh, it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Cradle to grave loyalty, John, is what it is. That's awesome. So, Dale, that brings us to an end of another episode of the Modern Hotelier. We'd like to give you an opportunity right now to plug away. Let us know where people who are listening can find out either about you or your properties, your companies. So the floor is yours now. Cool. No, guys, thanks for having me. Um, hit me up on LinkedIn. Definitely, that's my uh, my social uh, channel of choice. So you'll find me. I think Dale underscore PVL is my uh, my handle on LinkedIn. But if you search Dale Smith and SDD Smith Group, you'll you'll find me. And yeah, check out our SDD Smith Group website. You'll see all of our brands. And if you're you know if you're interested in the hospitality vacation rental side, our host and stay business at hostandstay.co.uk. But yeah, love guy, fantastic chatting to you. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much. Thank you. 
Yep. So that does it for another episode of The Modern Hotelier. We appreciate you being on, Dale, and uh, thank, thank you to all those who are listening or watching. Today's episode is sponsored by SmartBrief. SmartBrief is the leading publisher of targeted business news and information by industry. By combining technology and editorial expertise, SmartBrief delivers the most relevant industry news in partnership with leading trade associations, professional societies, nonprofits, and corporations. The SmartBrief network comprises 275 newsletters across 14 major business sectors, reaching over 6 million subscribers. Specific to the travel and hospitality market, SmartBrief publishes newsletters for the hotel, casino, airline, travel advisor, business traveler, and resort development markets, reaching over 100,000 subscribers. The hotel and lodging SmartBrief is published daily, and you can subscribe to all SmartBrief newsletters at smartbrief.com slash subscribe. You made it to the end of The Modern Hotelier. Thanks for listening. The Modern Hotelier is produced by Make More Media. Make sure to like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube or follow wherever you get your podcasts. If you know of a guest or sponsor that would be a good fit, feel free to email us at hello at themodernhotelier.com. Thanks and have a great day.